So the episode you're about to hear is actually a recording from when I was featured on another nurse's podcast called The Nurse Keith Show. For those of you that haven't heard it before, The Nurse Keith Show is so awesome. Keith himself is just such a genuine human and a gift and an amazing advocate for nursing as a whole. Uh, Every episode, he features a guest who he sees to be an awesome nurse who's doing great things in the world. And I am just honored to have been a guest on his show. Those of you have been listening for a while, some of the stuff we talk about, you've actually heard me say before, but I think it's just a good overview of what it's like to be a rapid response nurse, how I ended up in this position, what I love about rapid response nursing, my heart for nursing as a whole, and just some tips and tricks for how I manage myself in crisis. So if you are interested in learning about all those things I just said, then keep listening. Hey there, I'm your host, Sarah Lorenzini, a rapid response nurse and educator who loves telling stories to teach critical thinking. This podcast is for nurses who want the knowledge, skills, and confidence to respond to any emergency. With almost 20 years of experience in the ER and critical care nursing and a master's degree in nursing education, I have a lot of stories to share, and I love to nerd out and break down the pathophysiology, pharmacology, and nurses' role in emergencies. Stories? bring learning to life. It is way easier to learn from and remember the stories that my colleagues and mentors have told me than anything I've read in a textbook. And that is why I made this podcast. Every episode is packed full of exactly what you need to know to handle whatever crisis that could arise on your shift. It's one thing to get the right answer on the test, but knowing how to detect when your patient is declining and what to do when your patient is crashing is what will make or break your day and might just save your patient's life. That's my little pep talk spiel that I give to nurses that I see just freezing in the corner. I tell them, it's okay. Look, both of our hands are shaking. I feel just what you're feeling. There's nothing wrong with you. Your body is doing what it's supposed to do. Let's talk through how you can reinterpret it to yourself so you can get what you need to take care of this patient. How can stories about rapid response nursing enhance your powers of critical thinking And what's it like to be a rapid response educator? Let's talk all about it with Sarah Lorenzini, nurse educator and the host of the Rapid Response RN podcast, right here on episode 401 of the Nurse Keith Show. Well, hello there. This is Nurse Keith. This podcast is always about you, your personal and professional development, your nursing and healthcare career, and the healthcare system in the big picture. And I'm here to share education, ideas, very frequent diatribes and informative interviews with some of the most inspiring people I can find out there or who actually also find me. I love having you along with a ride and I thank you from the bottom of my nurse podcaster's heart for being part of the growing Nurse Keith Nation. Please head over to nursekeith.com to find the show notes for this episode where you can learn more about Sarah Lorenzini in the drop down podcast menu at nursekeith.com. So like I said at the top of the show, We're here with Sarah Lorenzini. She is the host of the Rapid Response RN podcast. And Sarah, I'm so glad to have you here. I'm so glad we connected. And it's great to have a fellow podcaster on the show because you know what's going on here. Um, Agreed, Keith. Good to be here. I'm so excited to be on your show. Thanks. You know what it's like to be on both sides of the mic, which is cool. I do. So what is it that draws you and has drawn you in the past 
to rapid response, trauma, crisis, you know, why is that type of nursing kind of like what floats your boat? I love this question. I think because people assume I must be some sort of adrenaline junkie, why I want to do this role. And I'm actually not like I crochet for fun, to be honest with you. Mm. What I'm drawn to is I love being there with patients and families who are in crisis because I want to be able to bring comfort and hope and clarity and calm in the midst of a really scary situation. I feel like I'm wired in such a way that I can hold space with people who are freaking out and I don't have to freak out. And so if that's how I'm wired and I want to use that to the best I can to help as many people as possible. So it's not that I just love the blood and the guts. I mean, it's cool. I'm definitely fascinated by it, Uh but that's not what gets me out of bed and gets me to the hospital every day because I can watch that on movies. Um, I love being with people whenever they're having a hard time and sharing space with them and they're and they're suffering and helping to guide towards a better, better outcome. Yeah, that's great. And I assume that, you know, in this sort of scenario, which I've never done, it's not my cup of tea, right, as a nurse, but in this type of scenario and the situations where you find yourself in crisis and trauma and rapid response, critical thinking really comes into play. I mean, we talk about critical thinking in nursing school and it's like you hear about critical thinking everywhere, right? It's almost like Mm -hmm. your brain turns off when you hear the term because we hear it so (laughs) much. However, it's so important. And my assumption is when you're in a crisis, you said you're wired in a way where you can be present and hold space and I know for a fact that you're also doing a lot of things and thinking through a lot of things at the same time. So what is it about the brain and thought processes of a person like you where you can hold so much at the same time? (laughs) What a loaded question. (laughs) I think that it's a combination of the trauma from my past and the hard challenging things I faced that I've had to develop that skill. Mm -hmm. And also I'm pretty ADHD, which some people might see as a deficit, but I feel like it's my superpower and that I can take in a lot of things all at one time. I actually enjoy the challenge of multitasking and high stress situations. Like I actually almost come to life in those types of circumstances. If things are too mundane or the same or monotonous, my brain kind of just literally I'll just go to sleep. (laughs) But if there's a challenge, I'm always up for a challenge. And it's like my brain can just fire much faster whenever someone's life is on the line. I really feel like I I operate better in those circumstances, which seems kind of weird. But that's that's just how I've that's how I am. And I've come to just accept that's whenever I do the best. Well, you've identified your superpowers and you've also identified the types of work environments where you thrive and can do your best. So in some of us like the the slow, steady kind of pace, which is where I've come in, like public health and community health and hospice and, you know, pub, things along those lines. And for you, that would be like... You know, but for me, that's where I can kind of think clearly and be real methodical and kind of move at my own pace, which is where I thrive. And we need nurses who can do 
all sorts oh, of things. Yeah, right? yeah we need nurses need who can do that kind of, you know, there's the slow food movement and the, you know, all that sort of stuff. We like to have the slow nursing movement. You know, I should probably <laughs> do a podcast about that. Welcome to, <laughs> welcome to slow nursing. <laughs> With your host, Nurse Keith. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, I digress. And for people who are those nurses like you, right, who are wired in similar ways, do you think and have you found that most people identify that this is their mojo in nursing school or do some people come to it later? Well, I don't think I identified it whenever I started nursing school, I was always fascinated with birth and babies. And I thought I was going to be a midwife, like in Haiti somewhere, birth and babies and huts was kind of my dream. Mm -hmm. And so I started nursing school with the intent of being like pediatrics or labor and delivery, midwifery, something like that. I got a job in the ER as a nurse tech in nursing school, just to kind of see everything. I wanted to see all the different types of patients and nursing. And, and that's when I, when I saw myself in that environment, I realized, wow, I'm actually I'm actually pretty good at this. People tell me that I have brought calm to a scary situation. Patients have given me feedback that I was a very calming presence. And so the more you hear that, the more I realize, man, I actually really love this. I mean, obviously, I still am fascinated with birth and babies. That's so cool. But I feel like where I really excel is in situations where there's high stress. And so that's when I realized, man, I never saw myself as an ER nurse. I never identified as like the stereotypical ER nurse, you know, adrenaline junkie and like tough exterior and like, uh -huh. like that type of the stereotype. I really don't fit yeah. that very well. Sarah Lorenzini, nurse battle axe, right? Yeah. It's just not yeah. me, you know, like a mom of five kids and I'm very nurturing, very compassionate, very tender, but I also, I will show up in a crisis. Uh -huh. And that's when I was decided, man, maybe I should do ER nursing. And honestly, even my family was surprised. Like, really, Sarah, ER nursing? You don't really uh -huh. seem the type, but I uh -huh. clearly, <laughs> I am the type. You are the type. I remember being told when I was a new nurse, someone said, Sarah, you're too compassionate for the ER. Wow. I was like, what? What is, is there such a thing as too compassionate? Like, is that even possible? I feel like that would be a strength. That's a real like, you know, you're just <laughs> It really is. And I was like, I will show you that I am not just, I'm not too compassionate. I am perfectly compassionate to be able to handle this role. Mm -hmm. So I really kind of hate the stereotypes of nursing. I get where they come from, but I would rather just tear those things down, you know, do where your, where your heart is, follow what your heart wants to do, figure out who you are and like find a position that fits the way that you're wired. Like you said, there are certain nursing roles that I would not do very good in, but other people just do amazing. So we need all types, but I'm glad that I found my niche. I feel like rapid response nursing is the perfect combination of ER nursing and ICU nursing and education, which is my three backgrounds. Uh -huh. So I really get to operate in my strengths, which is makes it much more enjoyable to show it to work every day. Yeah. So do you look for those same characteristics in colleagues, the ones who you most trust in those type of circumstances, or you've also been a nursing professor and an ER educator. Are those the characteristics when you see somebody who has all of those magic combination, you're like, oh yeah, that person's got it going on. Can you see that in people readily? Yes, you definitely can. <laughs> so as a nursing professor and as an ER nurse educator, I got to where I could very quickly pick out the personality types that would do well in it emergency type environment. It's not always the people that have the straight A's. 
I learned very quickly that my straight A students were not necessarily my best clinical performers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In fact, I was always surprised to go view the grades of my clinical students and be like, oh, oh, they have C's? Really? They're my, they're my best student clinicals. So if you are out there and you're just barely making it with your C in nursing school, that doesn't mean you're going to be a C-level nurse. <laughs> you True. might be amazing. But it's definitely the people that are up for a challenge. You know, they don't shy away from difficulty. They want to figure everything out. They, you have to be a people person. Like if you are super, super shy, you might struggle in the ER environment because you have to go head to head with some big personalities and drunk patients and, you know, calm down psych. Like you just have to have enough personal confidence to be able to walk into a crisis and handle it. You know, Mm -hmm. if you're really, really shy or soft-spoken, it may be difficult to survive in the chaos and challenge of the ER. Yeah. So the students that I would like recruit, let's say to the ER, to a critical care type role are the ones that, you know, obviously they don't know everything yet. They're still in nursing school, but if they had that drive to keep learning and they asked a bunch of questions and they, you know, were confident when they walked in the room and met the patient, those are the ones I was like, Oh, you've got, you've got a pretty good ER personality. I remember this one nursing student, gosh, I love him so much. He, I had him in clinicals at a nursing home. So you don't really get to see all of like the ER type skills in a nursing home clinical, right? But he was just so forward thinking and like ideas for how they could improve the nursing home. And he scheduled this whole, we happen to have clinicals on Veterans Day. And so he did this whole like veterans special get together where they watched a movie and they shared story. Like he organized all of it. And he just had this ability to bring people together and to bring out the best in people around him. And I was like, listen, you need to come work in the ER. You just have this awesome personality that's infectious. Anyway, so now he's like an ER director. Um, I did hire him into the ER. I was his ER nurse educator. I saw him through preceptorship, became the manager. Now he's a director. He's amazing. But I just knew early on, he's got the personality to be able to handle the crazy of the ER. I love that story. And I love that you mentioned a few minutes ago, like it's not the straight A students that are necessarily the best clinicians. I mean, I remember in, in my ADN program back in the, the mid nineties, I, um, I could never, ever get a grade on an exam over like 86. I, I just couldn't, I don't think I ever got an exam grade in the 90s ever in two years. I just couldn't do it. I also failed the NCLEX the first time I took it. So test taking wasn't my thing, but at commencement, I won the award for clinical excellence in my class. So, you you know, and in my mind, I was like, it was sort of cognitive dissonance that, Mm -hmm. but I also just knew, I acknowledged all through school is like, I'm not a good test taker. It just doesn't work for me. And the NCLEX attempt the first time proved that to me, but then I came back and did it. But the point is that there's all sorts of different types of knowledge. There's working knowledge. There's the ability to answer right. multiple choice questions. There's yeah. there's all useless. sorts of, yeah, well, <laughs> useful and useless at the same time. But when you see people like that gentleman and you see the others who maybe struggle in that rapid response or crisis or trauma kind of scenario, what are they afraid of? Like as a patient starts to decline, what are the things that go through the mind of a nurse when fear strikes and, you know, what happens to them and where do they, like, where does their head go? 
Well, I think everyone's a, a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Some people, and maybe it's a combination of all of them. Some people are really afraid that they're not going to know what to do. And then the patient's going to suffer because of it. Some people get overwhelmed with what if people see me and know that I don't know what to do. And that's embarrassing if I can't perform, you know, as a nurse. And some people are just get overwhelmed by the high level of stress in the room and kind of shut down. And so I've seen a combination of all of those things. One thing that I like to tell people is that when there's an emergency, when there's a crisis, when a patient's crashing, all of us go into fight, flight, or freeze. That's normal. That's our body's normal reaction to any emergency. You know, that that wiring in our system is our body's way of responding to emergencies for ourselves. You know, you've, you've heard the analogy of if you were to encounter a bear, what would your body do? Would you fight the bear? Would you run from the bear? That's the flight. Or would you freeze and hope that the bear goes past you? Well, even though your, your life is not personally in danger when your patient's crashing, it still stimulates that sympathetic nervous system to where you have the same reaction. And I have seen all three of those reactions. I've seen nurses get really aggressive where they're almost fighting, like their tone gets meaner and they start kind of snapping at people, nurses and doctors, and like all healthcare providers I've seen do that. And that's, again, their body's response to a stressful situation. I've seen nurses flight, literally run away from the emergency. I'm like, where's, has anyone seen their primary nurse? Who's their primary nurse for this patient? Can't find them because they literally ran off to go the bathroom or to check on other patients. I just felt like they, they were overwhelmed. They could not be in that room. But the most common reaction I see is the freeze where mm-hmm. so much is happening and the nurse literally freezes. And even though they know the ABCs, airway, breathing, circulation, it's like they can't even remember what to do first or how to put together the BVM or how to hook up the oxygen. Or I ask them, hey, tell me about your patient. What's going on? They can't remember what their name is or what they can Like they literally freeze. Mm. And I like to remind people, I have the same feeling that you're feeling. That heart racing, I feel that too right now. My hands, look at them. My hands are shaking too. Both of our hands are shaking. This is our body's normal response to stress. Your body is dumping epinephrine, norepinephrine, all these hormones in your system to help you. Mm-hmm. So rather than interpreting those, it's like I have to breathe faster. I feel my heart racing and my hands are shaking. Interpreting that as I can't do it. I'm breathing too fast. I can't do it. My hands are shaking. I can't do it. My heart's racing. I can't do it. Rather than interpreting as that, interpret as, as, oh, oh, this is my body kicking in to help me. Because if I were to fight a bear right now, I would be stronger than I ever am. I would be mm-hmm. faster than I ever am. My vision actually gets better. My ability to pick up on the little changes in my patient's condition are more acute. Like there are so many benefits to your body dumping those hormones to make you the best nurse possible. Hmm. So I have learned over the years, because I feel the same thing everyone else does. (laughs) When I feel that, I don't say, oh shit, I can't do it. I say, oh, all right, it's super Sarah time. Like my body is giving me extra, extra strength, extra focus so that I can respond to pick this patient up off the floor to do a full two minutes of CPR to recognize that their skin color is changing and they're like to recognize all the changes in the patient but it's taken time to kind of rewire my the way I interpret those sensations to know that it's a good thing and not Mm. a bad thing so I like to tell nurses that I feel like that's something that I tapped into at a young age Mm -hmm. whenever I was encountering challenges myself and I've just learned to channel it for the better And I don't expect someone to be like, oh, that's what I should do. And then instantly flipped channeling it right. But with time, you can kind of rewire those neural pathways 
and train yourself to respond differently to stress. So that's my little pep talk spiel that I give to nurses that I see just freezing in the corner. I tell them, it's okay. Look, both of our hands are shaking. I feel just what you're feeling. There's nothing wrong with you. Your body's doing what it's supposed to do. Let's talk through how you can reinterpret it to yourself so you can like get what you need to take care of this patient. I love that. Wow. I, I love that story and the way you characterize that. Mm, how would we say it? We talk about all those stress hormones as if they're bad things. And, you know, when we study the stress response and we study the relaxation response and all the things we can do, oftentimes we talk about, okay, we need to clear the cortisol out of our system. And mm -hmm. in day-to-day -day life, in 21st century life, yeah, if we have stress coming at us all the time, social media and you know, mass shootings and political upheaval and climate change. There's all sorts of things to make us on edge, you know, Christmas mm -hmm. shopping, whatever it is. Like there's <laughs> always stuff that's going to make us feel like we can't maintain control and we're stressed out. However, you're saying that in these moments, you're kind of tapping back into, this may sound like a trope or an old cliche, but it's back to the days when we lived in caves and when there was a saber-toothed tiger, like yeah. you those hormones developed, you know, genetically over time because it helped us to survive. Mm -hmm. And in a situation of life and death in the ED, that's actually what you need to do. And, but how do you actually learn to take that stress response and the acute vision and, you know, the clarity of thinking that can result? How do you make that happen? Because you said you can't flip the switch. <laughs> but what do you do to develop that skill to say, oh, I'm having a stress response. I'm going to make use of it. Like, what do you, mm -hmm. how do you actually make that happen? I think just like exercising any muscle, mm -hmm. it takes practice until you get better at it. So this started for me back when I was a kid. I was, go, go down memory lane with Sarah for a minute. So okay. we went, um, I was nine years old, maybe 10 years old. And our family went uh, snorkeling in the Keys mm -hmm. and we went to a boat and I physically could not pull myself up into the boat, like at all. So every time I had to get one of my uncles or my dad or someone to like hoist me up in the boat, it was, I hated it. I was so frustrated. I wanted to do it myself, but I couldn't. Mm -hmm. And one time I jumped out of the, of the boat into the water. As soon as I put my snorkel on, I saw a barracuda. And I was so scared. I swam faster than I've ever swam. I grabbed hold of the boat, pulled myself up in like one pull. And I was up on top of the boat. Everyone's like, oh, Sarah, look at you. Look what you did. You, you got it by yourself. I was like, yeah, because I'm scared. <laughs> and the rest of the time on that vacation, I was unable to pull myself up on the boat by myself. But that one time, because my sympathetic nervous system kicked in, I was so afraid. I had extra strength, extra motivation. I could do, I was, it was pretty impressive, my upper body strength for a nine-year-old to be able to pull myself up in the boat. And I started thinking, even as a kid, like, how did I do that? And I realized, oh, it's because my body gave me extra strength because I, I was afraid. That was like step number one. And then in high school, I was on like the debate team because I really wanted to be good at public speaking. But I tell you, I was so scared. I was so scared, Keith. Every time I would stand up to give this great rebuttal that I had prepared, and it was going to be really good, I like couldn't pull it off because my hands are shaking and my heart's racing. I feel like I can't get my breath. And I realized, oh, remember that time when I was afraid of the Barracuda and I had extra strength? This is the same kind of thing that's happening right now. I actually am about to be 
even better to deliver the speech if I can just tell myself that I am be- I am better right now, even though I feel crippled by this shaking and my heart racing, I'm actually better. So with time and several other circumstances that's bled over into nursing, even now when a code blue goes off, instantly my heart starts racing. I'm running across the hospital. There's epinephrine dumping into my system as I'm running there. And I'm just, even still 18 years in, I still tell myself, you got this, Sarah. You got this. You can you can care for this patient. You will have what you need to respond to what this patient has going on. Like you can do this. You've done this before. You're extra strong. You're extra sharp. But it's taken time to kind of retrain myself. So when I say you can't flip the switch, you can't do it in one day. But you can rewire your neural pathways to where eventually, when you feel that, you recognize it as a good thing and not as a crippling thing. So that, that's my advice to nurses: as when you feel that, start telling yourself, okay. Now my body's kicking in. Now I'm ready to be the best nurse for this patient rather than I can't do it right now. Uh, this is overwhelming. So it, it's just, a, it's working a muscle that you have to kind of train to respond in that way. Yeah, I love that story. It's a great story because it illustrates that this is something you learned at a certain moment in time and then you internalized it. And then as a nurse in nursing school, et cetera, you began to realize how to actually take that energy and and turn it into something useful, put it to the use that it's actually kind of physiologically meant to to be right. used for. And you've trained other people to do so. And a lot of people might find themselves in the ER early in their career as a nursing student, and they feel like there's a barracuda in the room with them or a scorpion or something where mm-hmm. they feel like they're you know, they're kind of losing it. And you really characterize the ways in which you can over time, not immediately in one day, flip that switch slowly, like turn the dial, I guess would be the better metaphor than flip the switch. So mm, that, like that. The, that response starts to become something you make use of. And I really, really like that. And I think a lot of people are going to find value in that. And you've been an ER nurse educator. You've obviously worked in the ER and you've worked in trauma and crisis. You've been a nursing professor at the associate level and you have a master's degree in nursing education. And what I wanted to ask you about is certifications. So we know there's ACLS and BLS and PALS and CCRN. When is it the right time to pursue these more advanced certifications. Like, I, of course, for many jobs, you need BLS or ACLS to even apply. So that's mm-hmm. kind of like, we start with that as a foundation. But do you need to have PALS or CCRN or anything like that before you even apply to an ED job? Or is that something you kind of wait and then you do it once you're on the job? Well, I'm going to take it back a little bit to my previous analogy to lead into this answer. The Barracuda? Yeah, I talked about the Barracuda, how I was able to swim so much faster and pull myself up on the boat. But what if I had never learned to swim? Well, my sympathetic nervous system would not actually be that helpful because I don't even have the the knowledge or the skills to know how to respond and to get to safety. So I think the same thing goes for your role as a nurse. It's great if your sympathetic nervous system kicks in, but if you've never even learned how to respond to a particular emergency, it will be much harder to channel that for good. And so 
Yes, there's the CCRN, critical care registered nurse. There's the CEN, certified emergency nurse. Mm -hmm. There's NRP for neonatal. I mean, there's so many certifications out there. A lot of those, you can't even sit for the test until you've been a nurse in that in that setting for two years. Oh, but my okay. advice to new nurses are that doesn't mean you can't study for it. <laughs> you may not be able to sit for the test, but I would say start studying for your certification as soon as you enter that specialty, because it will accelerate your uh, knowledge acquisition. Like, yes, preceptorship is going to help get you there. The more patients you see, you'll get there. But when you're taking time on your off days and you're studying all the little idiosyncrasies and like little details about that nurse specialty, you will be a much better nurse. And then when the patient comes in with that weird diagnosis, you're like, oh no, I just learned about this. I was studying about it last week. I know what to do. And so when your system kicks in to help you, you actually are, you actually know how to swim <laughs> and now you swim faster. Does that make sense? So I don't think that the certification is the end goal. Like, yes, it gives you more letters behind your name, a little more accolades. That's cool. The goal is knowledge acquisition and it's the studying for the test that makes you the better nurse, not the letters behind your name. So oh, I, see. I advise people as an ER educator, welcome to the ER. Start studying for your CEN. <laughs> I know you can't even take the test for two years, but I think there's so much value in studying for it. And, you know, with that, there's confidence that comes. Like when you've taken all of those practice tests and you're like, man, I'm knocking this out of the park. I'm getting like 90% on these. You almost tell yourself, oh, I do know what I'm doing. And there's confidence that comes when you're like, I really do know my stuff. You're able to advocate more fiercely. You're, you're more confident that this is what's right for your patient. Whereas if you've never heard of this thing before, you really don't know what you're doing. It does make it more challenging to put your, to put your foot down and say, no, this is what my patient needs. But when you say, listen, this is evidence-based practice. I just learned about this. And I know this is what's best for our patient. It does give you a little more strength behind your your uh advocacy for your patient yeah so, so i think there's I, a lot of value there yeah i like that advice so even though you can't take certain certifications for two years because you need that experience to even apply to sit for the exam there's mm -hmm. no reason not to study for it right exactly and then you can talk to people you work with who have taken the exam and who are certified and you can get their advice you can watch them you can mm -hmm. emulate certain behaviors and that'll help you prepare for the exam on the job because you're learning the things that you're going to be responding to when you do take the exam so that right. makes a lot of sense and what do you really love about the role of educating nurses and nursing students like what really lights your fire about you know being that mentor that person who plants positive seeds of knowledge and you know confidence in the minds and hearts of the people you work with i think the joy of being a nursing professor is twofold mm -hmm. as a nurse you're driven to help patients right and I know when I'm on my shift, I'm impacting just X amount of patients for that day. But if I can really train a nursing student or a new grad very well, then I am not only impacting my patients for this shift, I'm impacting every patient that nurse or nursing student touches the rest of their career. So my impact on the world, the difference that I make in the lives of patients is exponential as I'm reaching the lives of so many other patients, helping so many other patients 
to this person that I've trained. So I, I feel like as a nursing educator, you are still making an impact on patient care. So that's part number one. Part number two, I really enjoy instilling confidence and competence in the people that I'm training to see them. First off, the light bulb go off when they something clicks. And then to see their confidence go up when they get to do the thing they just learned and excel at it. To me, that is just so rewarding, especially knowing that what they're doing is making an impact on a patient. So I love being a nursing instructor. I love being a nurse educator. Even now, as a rapid response nurse, there's a lot of education that I do kind of centered around emergencies and how to respond. But it is such joy to me when I teach a nurse one week, hey, here's how you run the crash cart. Here is how you set up the suction. Here's how you respond to this particular situation. And then the next week, they're able to perform it independently and rock it. Man, that is just so rewarding. It's worth it's worth the time that I spent investing in them, knowing that it's making a difference in the lives of patients. That's wonderful. And there's something so um, inspiring about people like you who really want to instill the best in students. You know, back in the day, I had some professors who were great. And I also had others who felt like they almost wanted us to fail. Like they, they were, Mm-mm. they were so crusty and, and they mm-hmm. were like old battle axe nurses. Like I mentioned earlier. I and know a couple of those. <laughs> yeah. didn't feel like they were an ally. Yeah. They did not mm-hmm. feel like an ally or a mentor. They felt like a nemesis. And mm-hmm. there was kind of like this undertone of, I don't know, humiliation or sarcasm, you know, when you didn't get it or you had to ask a question, you know, and I bet an educator like you, you think, well, the only stupid question is one someone doesn't ask. So ask away because Mm -hmm. somebody else is probably thinking the same thing. Exactly. And now you, you have this podcast, Rapid Response RN, which is an awesome podcast. And you share real life stories from the front lines and you take the pathophys, the pharmacology, the nurse's role, and you, you talk it through, you like break it down, like you say, and it's really wonderful. And you have a rapid response and rescue online course that people can take, right? Yeah. So my podcast, I love telling stories. I feel like that's the best way to teach, even in my mind, like I can study basic pathophys, but if I can't relate it to a patient, it's hard to really get it to click. But every episode is a real case, a real patient that I responded to. And you kind of get to see the patient, the story unfold through the eyes of a rapid response nurse. Like, what am I seeing when I walked into an emergency? What are my priorities? How did I handle it? I feel like there's value in that. And then part, like the second half of the episode, I break down the pathophysiology, like you said, the pharmacology, the nurse's role, because I want nurses to be empowered to feel like they can respond to any emergency. I see so many nurses leaving the bedside, leaving nursing altogether because it's so overwhelming. It is. You have so much to do. There's risk that you will miss something. I get wanting to go find something easier to do because it it is really, really hard. But I feel like my role as a rapid response nurse is so rewarding because I get to see the impact that I'm making in patient care. And so if I can give nurses that same confidence, that same skill set, that same knowledge where they can catch patients declining, where they feel empowered to speak up and advocate, where they feel like what they did today made a difference in a patient, 
that's what's going to keep them at the bedside. Not like, oh, I passed all my meds on time. I got them a documentation done. I checked all the boxes mm-hmm. for joint commission. That's, isn't, that's not rewarding, but mm-hmm. it's so rewarding. The nurses that I've seen that caught a patient declining and we were able to jump in and intervene before they coded, that nurse, man, they stand tall. They are so proud of the work they did today. They, they know they made an impact. And I'll even tell the family, your nurse saved your loved one's life today because they recognize this little change in your loved one and they spoke and advocated. So you owe a lot. I'll tell them, you owe a lot to this nurse. <laughs> and I can just see the nurse just beaming with pride. Like, mm-hmm. yes, what I did made a, di- a difference. So mm-hmm. I hope that through my podcast, and this actually has happened, where nurses will email me and say, Sarah, that patient you talked about in episode 23, I had that patient today and I knew what to do. When I hear that, I'm like, yes, it's worth the hour that I spent researching. And the two hours that I spent recording and the four hours I spent editing, (laughs) it's Mm -hmm. worth it if it helps save this patient's life because the nurse knew what to do and got interventions before the patient climbed too far. So that's why I really love making the podcast. I love that. It's a great podcast and your passion comes through and your knowledge, your, you know, your brilliance and the way you think is just such an important piece of it for people to to take in like, oh, you know, that thought process, that critical mm-hmm. thinking, like the pathophys and the pharmacology and the, you know, okay, here's the, here are the steps I need to take when I have this particular patient, like that, that listener told you. And you also have a course, like I mentioned, and it's at yeah. rapidresponseandrescue.com. And tell us about that course. Is it like for CEUs or is it simply for, for learning and who yeah. is it for? So I would say the course is for any nurse that wants to know what to do and know how to figure out if their patient is crashing or stable or unstable. It's just a one hour course. It is worth one CEU. It's approved by the American Association of Critical Care Nurses. And, you know, in nursing school, we learn a like 30 minute long patient assessment. Like, Hmm. okay, we have to auscultate in these 22 fields and we have to (laughs) there's all these muscles to check for the reflexes and people are like there's so many assessments to do but i've learned over the years yes it's important eventually but what is your first 20 second assessment what are the top things that you're going to focus on when you enter the patient's room to figure out are they stable or unstable do i need to jump in and save their life or do i have time to figure out some more stuff i really just narrow it down to like how to figure out how sick your patient really is so I would say it's an introductory course. Yeah, it's just one hour long. I, I just want nurses to be like, okay, in general, I know what to look for and I know what to do initially when the patient's crashing. It doesn't go as deep into like the pathophysiology of a pneumothorax or the pathophysiology of a brain bleed. It's just kind of like a basic overview. Mm-hmm. I am currently in the process of building a much bigger, much more robust, <laughs> much longer course that will do just that. That will break down the path of visit of all the primary emergencies that I respond to. But it's taken time <laughs> to make that thing. So I just wanted to get something out into the world. I get questions all the time. Sarah, how did you know what to do? You just mm-hmm. came in there and you knew just what to do. Mm-hmm. Well, one, I've been a nurse for 18 years. Uh, and two, I've really taken time to figure out what are my most important, what are my priorities? And so that's what I want to share with people through this course. So I yes, it's that. at rapidresponseandrescue.com. It is worth one CEU, but it's way more, it's more valuable than just a CEU, right? I, yeah. I hope that it instills confidence in nurses. So they they feel like they know what they're doing and they, awesome. they're, they can jump in and help out their patients when needed. Yeah. And speaking of courses, CEUs, your podcast, your 
energy and passion and brilliance and dedication to educating nurses and helping them to save lives and touching patients far beyond what you can do personally, you have connected like I have with Karen DeMarco and Entre Boyd, who've been on this show from yes, our Yes, that's Renegade. how I found that was for you, yeah. actually. <laughs> they're yeah, awesome. They're, yeah, and they're at rrenegade.com. And rrenegade has created this platform where nurses, like those of you listening right now, and me and Sarah, actually, you can listen to a podcast, which you're going to do anyway, then take a little course and get a CEU for listening to that podcast. So I'm just getting started. I've been a little slow getting my courses up and I'll be talking about those on my show as soon as I start, I get into the swing. But I believe you already have a few a few podcast courses up, don't you? I do. I have three loaded on their website. So it's podcasts that I've already released. So if you've already listened to them, most of the work's done. If you wanted to see you for the time that you spent listening to that podcast, you can just go on, answer the three questions, pay the, mm-hmm. <laughs> based on the package that you choose, and then you get CEUs for doing what you've already done, which is advance yourself professionally. This is like the most novel idea, right? Because if I had CEUs for every podcast I've listened to, I would have literally thousands. Like I am constantly consuming knowledge because I am obsessed with knowing what I need to know for my patients. And I know those nurses that are like that that are always wanting to learn, always wanting to grow. And, you know, the CEU courses that the hospital offers are just, man, they suck the life out of you. I'm like, this is not fun. Nursing is fun. I love being a nurse, but this class is so boring. (laughs) So what a great idea that Renegade has to give nurses CEUs for what they're already doing to advance themselves professionally. So yeah, I'm, I'm on board. I'm all in. I am too. And I'm so glad you decided to go for it so quickly. And, you know, if we're going to be listening to podcasts and learning, you know, why not earn a CEU for doing so? It's been happening in the medical podcast world for a while. There's a Mm -hmm. number of medical podcasts where CMEs are earned. And, you know, it took Karen and Antra to be like, oh, you know, because they're, they don't even they say they're not even out of the box thinkers. Like they don't even consider that the box exists in the first place. And we need people like that. So you and I are both now involved in the Renegade community and people can start earning CEUs by listening to our podcasts. And you, you know, what I glean from you, from getting to know you is that you love to educate other people. You love to be in the trenches, like you said, with patients. And when the pandemic hit, you were saying offline to me that a lot of people ran, you know, but you were one of those nurses who ran towards the fire, like a firefighter running into the burning building. And before we go, I just want to ask you, what went through your mind as the pandemic started and you were like, oh, I need to be in the trenches right now? Hmm. So I was still an ER educator when the pandemic first started. And Mm -hmm. so of course, what I'm educating is how to don and doff PPE safely and what is COVID and what are the symptoms and, you Mm -hmm. know, stuff that an educator should be educating about in a global pandemic. But I said it all till I was blue in the face. And I was like, I see the nurses in there just sweating, struggling, caring for these patients. And that's when I just realized like, that's where I want to be. Like, I know it's hard work, but sometimes the hardest stuff is the most gratifying. 
And so that's when I went to leadership of my hospital and said, hey, I'd like to start a rapid response team here and I can lead it, but we need it right now. Our hospital is just stretched so thin, you know, like there's so many patients and not enough nurses and we need nurses need to have that resource to call when their patients starting to climb rather than waiting until they code or waiting until they really get sick, someone they can call earlier on to help them get the patient stabilized. So I pitched it to admin. They said, absolutely do it, (laughs) whatever you need. And uh, it's been very successful. But the point is I am driven to want to help people who are suffering, whether it be help my nursing colleagues who I know are just drowning with this pandemic or help the patients and their families that are scared and, you know, facing something really challenging. So (laughs) it probably is rooted in like a savior mentality that I need to get therapy for, but I definitely, I definitely am driven to help, you know, like people say like, Oh, do you have a good day? I had a good day. If I got to help people, you know, if, Mm -hmm. if I had a really slow day and I didn't get to do very much, honestly, it's not a good day for me. A good day for me is where I feel like I, I got to help. And so Man, I sure got a lot. I got to do a lot of helping in the global pandemic. There was a lot, a lot to do. And as, even though that was probably the hardest season of my career, to see so many patients crashing, to see so many, it really was tragic to see us lose so many young patients, so many, so many people lost their loved ones. Yeah. I still feel like what I did was so valuable and so important. And so I enjoy the hard work. It's not that I enjoy suffering that don't, don't twist it, but Mm -hmm. um, I do enjoy being with people on the hardest day of their life for whatever reason. I, I want to be there in that. So I love that. That's how I ended up as a rap response nurse in the global pandemic. Well, thanks for being so, so honest and forthright and, you know, your tears and your your heart come through really clearly in terms of your, your dedication and, you know, hats off to you for, for running into it. And, you know, you might, you might laugh, but I have this habit of coming up with ideas for the next book that someone's going to write or their memoir. And I just came up with a title for yours. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Yeah. I came up with running towards the fire, my life in rapid response nursing. So anyway, you can take that if you That sounds like a great (laughs) summary of the last three years. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think running towards the fire is sort of like that encapsulates everything. So if you want to take Mm -hmm. that, go for it. um, (laughs) That's your next memoir. Okay. 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 So before we go, and we could talk a lot more and we will someday, but I'd like to ask you the four quick questions I ask all my guests at the okay. end of the episode. Is that cool? Are you game? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the first question is, how do you define success, either personally and or professionally? I would say success is living a life that fulfills what you feel like you're called to do. If you are successful financially, but you're not really doing what you love, I don't know that that's true success. Mm-hmm. So whatever you feel inspired to do, whatever is important to you, if you're actually pulling that off, like putting your time towards achieving that, then I'd say you're succeeding. Even if the intro bank account doesn't show it, even if your car model or your house size doesn't show it, all that stuff is so not important. Mm. But I feel like I am succeeding if I'm being a good wife and a loving mother mm-hmm. and a strong nurse for my patients. Mm. I love that a good wife, a great mother, a loving mother, and a strong nurse. I like that. All right. So second question, 
Could you name, or if you don't want to name them, just describe a person who's inspired you in the course of your life. They can be living or dead. They can be famous or not famous at all. Oh man, there's so many people that inspired me. So my, first of all, I have two amazing grandmothers. So Mm -hmm. any goodness you see in me is probably from them. Mm -hmm. So can I just talk about both of them? (laughs) Yes. Yes. Okay. So my dad's mom, she was a nurse and she had five kids and she was a missionary. This woman is tough as nails. And even in her late 80s now, she still spends her time visiting people at the hospital, caring for others. Like she just can't help herself. That's just who she is. She's always calling and checking on me, saying, Sarah, I was thinking of you. I'm praying for you. I mean, she is just the most precious person. Hmm. That's grandmother number one. Grandmother number two, my mom's mom. She had 11 children, literally birthed 11 children. So they're, they're alone. You know, she's tough stuff. And then after her kids started graduating from high school, she started adopting mentally and physically handicapped men from the state. And so when I came on the picture, my grandmother had 16 men living with her that she was caring for full time. So she is just a caregiver to her core. And just to watch her age so gracefully and to still give so much, everything she had to other people, always thinking about others. The two of them inspire me a lot because they literally gave their lives, their time, their bodies, you know, to take care of other people. And man, have they impacted so many, not necessarily by what they've said, like you should do this, but just watching them, I learned, okay, that is what I I want to have that attribute. And so I'd like to think that I am emulating a lot of what was instilled in me, not because they intentionally put it there, but just they rubbed off on me. The beautiful life lived in the service of others. It's much more rewarding than acquiring stuff. Oh, that's beautiful. And um, a number of guests have mentioned grandmothers. It's very interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Grandmothers and elders can really hold a lot of wisdom and really teach us a lot if we're willing to see them for who they are, you know, so I, I like that. So third and penultimate question, is there a book or a movie doesn't need to be an absolute favorite? but just one that comes to mind that's had an impact on the way you think or the way you live your life. Yeah, there's a movie called Life is Beautiful. Oh, it's yes. actually about the Holocaust. Robert, you're like, why Roberto do you like Benigni. that movie? Yes. Yeah, he's wonderful. Yeah, so that movie, I watched it in middle school as like an assignment. Everyone else was like, oh, it's not even in English. Why do we have to watch this? But man, I was boohoo crying watching this movie. Mm-hmm. And just seeing how that father was able to bring such a beautiful spin on such terribleness that was happening around them. And as a mother and as a nurse, it's not that I want to like blindside my kids, but to guide people through a crisis, through suffering is what that father did for that boy. And Mm -hmm. I just remember being so touched by that, how strong he was to care for his son by showing the beauty despite the the Holocaust happening around them. That that movie yeah. is always one of my favorites, even though I still cry when I see it. So mm-hmm. that's, the, that's the one I would choose. It is incredible. Life is beautiful with, with uh, Roberto Benigni. He's, he's really wonderful. Now, last question. And as a mother, you'll probably relate to this question a lot or very deeply. What's one piece of advice you'd give 18-year-old Sarah right now, whether you think she'd listen or not? <laughs> She wouldn't listen. Uh, <laughs> so okay. separate. Okay, now, let's, let's set the record straight. She won't listen. But, but what would you say? Anyway. 
Oh man. Well, with regards to nursing, Mm -hmm. I would say that your intuition is right. Mm -hmm. Trust it. Mm -hmm. I think that's the biggest lesson I've learned in my first year of nurse is that that every time where they had that little inkling of something's wrong with my patient, they're going to crash and then terrible going to happen. Even if the vital signs didn't really reflect it yet, man, that intuition was right every time. And I can tell you so many stories where I kept my mouth quiet because I didn't have enough data to prove my, what my gut was telling me. And I wish I could go back and be like, no, this patient's about to have a cardiac arrest. This patient is dying. This patient has an aneurysm. Like times when I knew something was up, I wish I could tell that because I was a nurse at 19, by the way. So to be able to tell that nurse, listen, Sarah, just advocate because you are correct. Wow. Wow. Okay. So that's an important lesson as well, isn't it? And maybe she'd listen. I don't know. We'll have to, you know, we maybe, will you know, we'll never it, know. It, it took time for my knowledge, <laughs> my knowledge to meet my gut intuition, you gotcha. know, like intuition was there from day one. I always had that in just the way that I'm wired, but eventually mm-hmm. I had enough knowledge to say, okay, when I'm feeling, I know this is right because of mm-hmm. this thing that I studied for, let's say. Yeah. So it's your nurse right. spidey sense, they say. Oh yeah. Right. When oh, the yeah. tingle happens and you're like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. Well, Sarah, thank you so much. This has been so wonderful. You're amazing. Very inspiring. And I can't wait to watch how the Rapid Response RN podcast develops over time and how you develop more courses you know, on your website and also through RNAgade. And just thanks for being my new friend and colleague and doing such great work in the world and changing lives every day. Thank you, Keith. It's been so wonderful talking with you. I hope we get to do it again. We will for sure. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nurse Keith Show. Remember, the show notes will be at nursekeith.com where you can learn all about Sarah, Rapid Response RN podcast, and everything else amazing about Sarah Lorenzini. I hope you feel uplifted and empowered from this episode. And if you need personalized, holistic career coaching to elevate your nursing career, check out nursekeith.com. Before we say goodbye, I'll leave you with this quote by poet and writer David White. One of the keys to any possible happiness in work must be the little self-knowledge it takes to know what we desire in life, how we are made, and how we belong to the rest of the world. Be well, dig deep, seek joy, keep in touch. This is Nurse Keith saying adios till next time from beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico, and my friend Sarah Lorenzini saying arrivederci from Florida. Beautiful, sunny Florida. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you to everyone for listening, and we will catch you on the proverbial flip side. Before you go, I just wanted to let you know that if you like this episode, you would probably like my course too. My one-hour rapid response and rescue course is an introduction to how I approach emergencies. If you would like to learn to think, assess, and respond quickly when your patient is crashing, then you can check out my website, rapidresponseandrescue.com. And if you message me the word podcast on Instagram, I will send you a coupon code for $10 off the cost of the course. Oh, and did I mention that the course is approved by the AACN and worth one continuing education contact hour? So if you want to level up your emergency response skills and get one CE in the process, then this course is what you want. I put the link in the show notes for you. Well, thanks for listening. I hope you learned something that will save a life. Remember, nursing is a team sport. So trust your intuition and don't give up advocating until you are confident you've done what's right by your patient. 
The views and opinions expressed on this show are that of Sarah Lorenzini and hers alone. They are not intended as medical advice and should not take the place of your institution's policies or procedures. Evidence-based practice is ever-changing and your patient care should reflect the current best practice. If you want to get in contact with Sarah, you can find her at rapidresponseandrescue.com or on social media platforms as the Rapid Response RN. 